What's up, everybody? Before this episode of the podcast, I want to let you know that we are now live on YouTube with video episodes of At the Elephants. So please head on over to YouTube, type in At the Elephants with Rob Morris, and subscribe now. You could even go watch this episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to At The Elephants. I'm your host, Rob Morris. So excited to have you listening. Shout out to Daniel and Moaned. You know, he wrote the, uh, the well, he didn't write the song for the show, but that, that little track right there on the Prisoners of the Inquisition from Daniel and Moaned's album, Punk Philosophy, has been the theme song of At The Elephants for years now. And I kind of take it for granted, letting him play us in every week. But let's shout out Daniel Lamone. We also have music on the show from Max Stampa Brown. So let's take a moment to appreciate those talented gentlemen. But moving on, happy Super Bowl Sunday, everybody. Uh, I hope you're enjoying the day. I hope you have some fun stuff planned. Uh, personally, I do not give a fuck about the Super Bowl at all. I don't pay attention to sports. I'm a politics nerd. That's where my interest lies. Those are the teams I track. That's where my fantasy league is. My fantasy quarterback is Bernie Sanders. That's what, you know what I mean. Like didn't do well last season, but I'm hoping for some. I'm hoping for a good scorecard this year. Um, but if you're, you know, I got a friend of mine who's a really big uh, Kansas City Chiefs fan, and as I understand it, they're participating in the Super Bowl this year. So. Uh, I guess that's my team because I, I guess they're the the Cubs or the Sox or whatever the fuck you know the team that's that hasn't been there in a lifetime and they got a shot. So I'm 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 always rooting for the underdog. I may not know any of their names. I do know where Kansas City is. That's the best I can do. But let's move on. Let's get to it. Today's episode, a Sunday episode of At the Elephants. We've been going every day introducing you to the cast, to the crew of Martin Sherman's Bent being performed in Brooklyn, February 6th through 15th. Get your tickets now. Get them now. Why don't you have your tickets yet? What the fuck? Get your life together. Get your tickets for Bent. It's a really fucking good play. I love this play. It was originally staged in 2015 at School of the Arts uh, by some very talented seniors at the time, class of 2015, and a uh, majority Majority, maybe not majority, a large number of the original people involved are involved again. Uh, many of the cast and crew, the director, uh, and they're also bringing in some new talented people. One of the people returning to their role um, on this show uh, is Ethan Nienaber. Mr. Nienaber was not in the class of 2015. He's a 2016 grad, uh, but he was brought in for his movement expertise. He's one of those... Francisconi brain children who really just soaked up all the uh, all the moving around shit from Bob's class. So he was brought into the original production to help with transitions and and movement and stuff like that. And uh, Emma Coulter, the very talented director of this project, brought him in again to do the Brooklyn version. So we get into that. We also get into uh, a very interesting story about a brand new show that you might have heard of called Emoji Land, a new musical. Um, playing in New York right now. Get your tickets for that shit, too. Go check out both and get you a double dose of the knee-knobs. Get, get you all the Ethan knee-knobs you could handle. Um, also, go listen to uh, his lovely lady, uh, Beth Hawks, on this show back a few episodes. Anyway, 
So I got into it with Ethan. I love Ethan. He's got a great energy, super fun. This is one of my favorite episodes I've done in a little while, uh, just because I really enjoy talking to this dude, and I think you're going to enjoy the chat. But uh, let's get into it. Once again, I'm going to throw it out there. Go get your tickets for Bent. Uh, It's going to be a really good play. Uh, We have several more episodes coming for you. Will Bethman, Emma Coulter, her father, and also UNCSA alum Steve Coulter from The Walking Dead and House of Cards is coming up this week. So stay tuned and enjoy this episode with Mr. Ethan Ninaber. What's up, dude? Isn't she great? She's so on top of shit. She's oh, got this God. all set up. She is the literal best. I was just, I was just raving to her about her while, uh, while we were, we were sitting here in her living room. I mean, she's, she is, she is doing everything, man, and everything that I didn't know that she was already so good and capable of doing. My goodness. Right. Yeah, it's a. We were talking about it the other day. Producing is such a. It's such an enigma, right? Because there's so many different versions of it. There's so much that you can be trying to accomplish and, and you're like, okay, so I'm a producer. That means nothing in helping me understand what I'm supposed to fucking do. So now what do I do? Um, but you find that shit out quick when you're doing all of it. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I've been blown away by Kara. She's, she's a rock star, man. Well, let's talk about you, dude. I'm excited to have you on the show finally. As I told... Uh, the boys so far, you know, it doesn't count as your main episode. We'll do a main episode where it's just me and you, and we're talking about everything, Ninaber. That's really why I decided to come on. I was like, I just gotta, I just gotta put in my my due diligence here, make sure Rob knows that I'm on deck. <laughs> well, yeah, a hundred percent. And also, it's like once you have, uh, you know, one half of a, a duo. You know, I've had Beth on the show. Now I feel deeply incomplete, but we're gonna get there. We're gonna get there. We will. We shall. So, um, Bent, man, let's talk Bent. Let's get into that world. Uh, and then I want to talk uh, emojis with you, dude. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that, that's a whole other thing, isn't it? <laughs> right. Let's start. Let's start with Bent. Did you you were involved in the first one in 2015, right? You were one of the carryovers from the first production. Yeah, yeah. So I did it. I did it actually when I was a junior, um, and it was their senior uh, Keys of the Kingdom show. And so yeah, I, I I had such a great time on it last time. I I loved that Emma was willing to give me a like a pre look forward into Keys of the Kingdom. I think that was really valuable for me at the time. And but like everyone else, I completely fell in love with this story. I mean, it's incredible. It's heart wrenching. It's so humanizing. I mean, there's it's, there's not a lot that you can't love about it. Right. What was the work that you did on the first one? And then what are you doing for this? Well, so I'm essentially doing the same thing for, for both now. So the work that I did on the first one was I came in, I, I helped them sort of piece the transitions and uh, some of the the like arc of the story together more or less. And so helps them make those moments where like this show just has a ton of furniture going one direction and then different things come in the other direction, not to make those dead spaces essentially. What is it about, because that's a, you know, a huge thing that Gerald would talk about. Matt Bullock was really big on that. And, and I'm, I'm a big advocate of don't leave me sitting in the dark, right? 
I don't want to sit in the dark for a minute and a half while you change the fucking set around and play some sad song for me. Like, I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to think about a TV show that it reminds me of. I'm going to think about another play. I'm going to, like, don't give me any time where you're not telling me the story in one way or another. And uh, I remember sitting, I don't even remember what it was. It wasn't bent, of course, but we were, Matt Bullock and I were sitting next to each other in RJR watching something, and the lights are about to come down. It's clearly the end of the scene, and it's like starting to come down, and uh, Matt leans over to me, and he goes, bet you they leave us sitting in the fucking dark, man. I bet we're going to sit in the fucking dark for like 60 seconds. You watch, man. We'll see. And he was totally right. And then, of like, and he's giving you that Matt Bullock look of, like, you know, with his arm. Yeah. Am I? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so I took away from school, like, really hardcore, like, don't leave them sitting in the dark. Don't give them a moment to, like, go somewhere else in their head. Even if they're wherever they are in their head for the play, like, just don't let it depart from that and keep it seamless. And it sounds like you took that lesson to heart seriously. And, and, and that's a big part of how you make stuff now. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I honestly, I can't, I don't think I can make anything that doesn't do that now or, or at least attempt to, I mean, hopefully I right. do it. I mean, some sure I'm off at times too, but like, yeah, it, it's, it's so integral to me. And it's funny because whenever I go to see a show like that, it's almost like I blink and then the, it's curtain call, you know, I mean, yeah. it just it by in a flash, but you get such a good, whole feeling of a story it doesn't feel like scenes or segments anymore it feels like one nice full i guess piece right it, and it's interesting right because with plays i feel like we're more patient with it in musicals you're like not allowed to do it like musicals better fucking flow from one song to the next scene to the next thing and it's like they go out and they come in and you know you, you you've got to keep it tight but with a play it's almost like we allow this like French noir kind of storytelling where we're like, we'll just take some time and listen to some overture and let them move <laughs> things around. But I love adapting that because it, it, it does keep the pacing. And even with a story like Bent, which, you know, anytime you're telling a story about the Holocaust, right, it, it doesn't hurt to give your audience the sense of like desperation and languishing in the like, oh my God, how is this going to go? It's, it's moving, but you still got to keep it tight if you want to keep their attention, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and that's been, I guess, a big part of what I've been doing with this show both times now is is helping us maintain the world as best we can, helping us really try to feel some of the intricacies, the subtleties of what it's like to be in that time, living in that place. I mean, obviously, it's not something that I've experienced. So a lot of it is just pulling research and trying to, you know, I was looking at weird noir dance from Germany in 1938 or whatever this morning, like just, just, you know, I just trying to find stuff that feels authentic. How did you get tapped to be that guy? I mean, you're not in their class and, and so many of the people who work on the show, even now, the new one, were in that same 2015 yeah. class. So like, what made, was it Emma and what made her go to, you know what? Let's bring Ethan in. Like, why you? There you know, lots of people at school. Well, I, I think a lot of it was during school. I <laughs> I think subconsciously I knew I was going to, like, be a director. And, and for whatever reason, I wasn't – I was really resistant to that. So everything I made, like, during intensive arts, everything that I – had a moment of spare time to help create, I was always directing in some kind of capacity. And usually that was through like stuff that came out of Bob's class, movement, masks, you know, I mean, it, it, it was 
it was such a simple, pure form of storytelling that that's what I wanted to get into. And that's what, you know, filled like the easy door into it. Something that was less scary, less sort of like, oh, I'm jumping ship on acting and performing all together. I, I, I wasn't ready to rip any kind of band-aid like that in college, especially right. joining the acting track and thinking for forever that that was the that way or the highway for me, you know. Do you still feel some of that? Because I have like four questions on what you just said, but the first one that I came into my mind was, and the reason is because it has been a theme as I've talked to people just on this show, which is like, do you still have like a, I apologize, but for lack of a better term, an insecurity about like, I'm supposed to be doing this or I, my training was in this and this is my track and this is my thing. Or have you kind of evolved to be like, I do a lot of shit and sometimes I'm doing this role. Sometimes I'm wearing this hat. Where, where are you at with that? Cause I know that's the tough part as I talk to so many people with conservatory training. Cause they're like, no, I spent like $150,000 to be a fucking actor. So here I am not acting. I'm failing like that. That can weigh big on people. Where, where are you at with that? That was, that was really hard for me to start. I would say, I mean, coming out of school, still doing showcase as an actor, you know, it, it was, it was a brutal, I would say like for first year or so I, I really had this sort of sense of loss and abandonment of a piece of myself at first, but what was actually really comforting for me, and this is, this might sound a little bizarre, but every time I was in a performance situation after school and once I moved here I was always uncomfortable I was always like physically uncomfortable I was always like sweating and just like I don't know if it was anxiety or or, or what but I, I was always not really like in my skin anymore I didn't feel like what kind of performances are we talking are you, are you doing uh, friends plays a little stuff yeah. or like what you know just act but basic acting they give you a script you're up there doing the lines Right. Yeah. Readings or a scene for someone's thing here. You know, sure. I mean, nothing, nothing really large or professional or serious overall. Right. But every, you know, I think I only happened like three or four times in that first year of being out of school because I'd already kind of been like, yeah, I don't think I'm doing this much anymore. Like mm. I was really coming around to that. And those few experiences that first year really made me go like, yeah, I'm just not enjoying this. <laughs> And so it was a it was pretty clear, like I, I just needed to throw all my eggs in a different basket. And I interned and see, tried to see if like administration would have been part of something that I wanted to do. Um, and I liked pieces of that and would still do pieces of of that, mostly like in the literary side or, or new work, you know, working on scripts. Right. Um, but but really, it was always like, yeah, I can't I have to be in the room. And I've been doing this like stuff with movement and calling it like physical theater but it was really just inspired by bob's class and Mm -hmm. so it seemed like something that i'd already been really in love with and i just was finally opening the door and being like oh what can this all contain so do you feel departed from acting now is it something that you've written off or because to me i i i've talked so much on the show with people who take big breaks from different things that they practice doing and i think one of the conclusions we've kind of come to and the people i've talked to is why write anything off forever? Like it just what 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 use is it to you to say, I learned this skill set, I know how to do this thing, and I'm never gonna do it again. Like we, you know what I mean? Like first that seems <laughs> yeah. counter, but at the same time, sometimes it helps us. And this is what I'm getting to with you, which is like sometimes it helps us to narrow our focus and say, 
sure, there's different things, but for right now, this is what I'm really interested in. This is what I really care about. This is the kind of shit I really want to make happen. How How is that negotiation for you? You hit the nail on the fucking head. I mean, like, it it is something that if oh someone comes to me someday and says, I really want you to try to play this part, and I am really interested, I'd be like, okay, maybe. Like, Dude, that's how hey. I feel. Like, as an actor, that's how I feel, 100%. Yeah, you know, right circumstances, right place, right time. Okay, sure. For sure. Like, it, it would be an enjoyable experience. But I am so much more passionate and excited and interested in what I'm actually doing today that to pursue that in any, to, to pursue anything besides that in a professional sense just right. kind of feels like a waste of time. Yeah, I hear you. Um, so you're working on this new thing, uh, with Emma and everybody bringing this thing back to life, but you got another project that just opened up and people are pretty happy about it. Why don't you tell me about that, bro? How'd that come about? And, uh, what, what's that journey been like for you? Tell me about emoji. Yeah, man. It's, it's been wild. It's really been, uh, it's been about two years with the show for me and I, yeah, I, so it's a bit of a a topsy turvy uh, marriage, I guess, with with me in this show. But I, I was an intern when I was trying to figure out what I was doing. Uh, I was I was an intern uh, for the New York Musical Festival, and I did literary and programming for them. And so that was kind of where I was reading a lot of scripts. I was doing evaluations, managing their submissions portal and stuff. Um, and I that was the part of it that, like I said, I loved. I loved just like reading and going to industry readings and stuff like that. And so one of the industry readings was Emoji Land. I thought the music was genius. I thought, you know, it's emojis. Everyone knows emojis. Like, Androids have emojis. iPhones have emojis. Everyone. Everyone's got an emoji in their life in some way. And so it's super universal, super accessible to all ages and groups of people. And the story really had, I thought, a good heart but needed work. But the musical bones were there. Like, the music has always been super strong. And lots of the music that I heard at that time is still in the show today. So... Recommended it to my boss, and she was like, the application's due in a week. If you can get them to apply and put in something good, we'll see how it goes. And I was like, okay, great. And so reached out and was like, I think it's, I think your stuff is dope. I mean, I was pretty much just like, you guys are awesome. Like, you clearly know how to write good music. Um, so apply to the festival if you can. Let me know how I can help you. Um, and they got selected. And I, at that point when they got selected, wasn't an intern there anymore. So I was free to just kind of throw an ask into the wind and see if I would get anything back and ask right. if they need an assistant director. Um, and so they were like, uh, sure. Well, you can talk with our director and see if he would want to have you. And I was like, done. And, and, and the rest is kind of history since then. <laughs> well, I want to get to the reception that it's had, which has been really positive. But before, before that, I want to make a point that I think is very interesting of, you know, when we leave, well, let me be more specific. When we leave school, specifically uh, a school like ours, uh, you know, a conservatory, you have these aspirations, whatever they may be. Maybe it's theater, maybe it's film, maybe it's television, maybe it's live events, What you know, whatever it is you want to do. But in your head, at least for me, it's like you're like, there's got to be gatekeepers out there who are like, big wig exec guys and gals who are like deciding who gets to work and they you got to please those people or good luck go make your own fucking thing and see if anyone comes and what i love about this story is here is this show that got made 
and people like it and a fucking intern found it you know and and made a point of you know and not to belittle you i mean of course you no. you're bringing you're bringing a very specific mentality and i think you're qualified to do that i really do i'm not kissing ass but 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 in the hierarchy of how it works it kind of shattered some preconceptions i had before and i hope anybody might have of like you never know who's going to be the one who's going to review your submission or who's going to find your show at that back-ass theater that you thought nobody came to and go to their boss and be like, you know, I stand to gain nothing other than maybe being the one who was right historically, but man, this is fucking good. And I just, I think you should know. <laughs> it, it will, and it's so funny because it's, it's as simple and silly sounding as that is. Like I was a fucking intern, dude. Yeah. Like I didn't really have any place to be like, this might be good. Yeah, you but didn't like, even know why you were doing it. You know no, what I mean? You were like, no. I'm gonna be an intern to try to discover what the next step is for me and along that path. Yes, exactly. And and it it was so funny because like throughout that whole time, it was so formative to me, even just receiving that one little bit of validation that they were gonna right. apply. I mean, I was like, oh, wait, you're even just gonna put in an application. Like that's my whole job is applications at this place. Like that's a thumbs up for me alone. I, I was just happy that that had happened. I sort of felt like, well, at least I did my job. Like, yeah, hundred percent in some way. And yeah, you never know though. You never know. So, uh, let me ask you then about the show now that it's opened, uh, what has been the response? Uh, what are people feeling about this? You know, you hear, you know, there was a, what was it? There was an emoji movie a little while ago that came out. I don't think it did super great. Um, so you hear that kind of thing and you're like, is it gimmicky? What's the idea here? Are you just picking a cultural thing that we all hear? And we're like, I know what that is. Let's make a show about it. I doubt that it would get to where it is with just that in the chamber. And I also trust your judgment enough to think that you weren't like, this sounds like a commercial piece of, you know, make some money. Um, so where's the value in this show, man? What are people loving about it? Uh, you know, wh what do you love about it as you've watched it grow? Like what makes this show special to you? Yeah, well, so, I mean, I guess the first thing back when was always the music. I think that's one of the big foundations of this show is it really is an original musical. Um, and I think just for our industry, that's always refreshing. Like, and it's also a new musical that isn't like some of the other recent new musicals where it relies on four or five really strong melodies or choruses. And then it will repeat those and change those. And that's beautiful in its own way. I, I love shows like that a lot. Right. This one is different because every song is unique. There's no, there's rarely a, a, a melody that's reprised unless it's super purposeful and intentional. Okay. So that's a big part of it for me, just in the foundation, the bones of this thing. But the story is really about don't judge a book by its cover. And I think everyone's had some kind of don't judge a book by its cover moment in their life where they've gone, whoa, wait a second. You're reading into me in the completely wrong way. You, you don't 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 get it wrong. Like I you you may think I look like that, but I'm really over here doing this other thing. And it, that's what the whole story is about. Every character is taken for face value, ironically enough. And then I see what you did there. I see what you did. Uh, uh huh. Actually, has, actually has a, a a deeper, more like human want and need that everyone 
and in, in or at least one person in in one seat has probably gone through. You know, it's an interesting double-edged sword in that regard, and I think this is true for Bent as well. And any any piece of work that ventures to tackle something in our nature that maybe is not the best that we're like, hey, come on, you shitheads. Like, let's behave ourselves and be kind to each other and stuff. You know, it's like that general morality that kind of fits into so many pieces of art, even Disney movies, you know, hammer you over the head with it, like be a good guy and all this stuff. Despite that, and the example we were talking about the other day is A Christmas Carol, right? How many versions of A Christmas Carol has there been? And yet, there are still so many greedy fuckers out there who did not learn the lesson from the fucking movie. And it's like the double-edged sword, right, is that like that sucks because it's like aren't we trying to teach people these lessons in a way that they'll walk away with it and behave themselves a little better towards us and each other? But then again, it's like if it worked, we wouldn't have gotten the Michael Caine one with the Muppets. So it's like, you know what I mean? Like you would have no story in Emoji Land if we all got the like book by its cover thing. Yeah, we all got that. Nobody does that. What are you talking about? Like if that lesson in another movie or show had sunk in, there would be no value in you trying to tell it through this story. Unfortunately, we don't seem to learn the lessons, so we get to keep making the lesson stories you know what i mean it, well, and it's so true because they the, the writers and the team of emoji land have talked long and hard about how this is essentially a good opportunity to hold a mirror to ourselves right now and be like yo this is what we've got going on still yeah like, we we're still going through these things but like and 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 they take it one step further they're really relevant too there's a whole political thing i mean you see the the Trump regime in this show very clearly and and how you know we're relating to it how we're we want people to fight against it usually right. I would say so it's it, it's it's really been interesting because of that because it tackles a lot of those universal things and then there's those nuggets where you're like wait a second is that last year is that is that a reference to oh right. okay you're like you're like a little like oh that's that's sneaky like if you pay attention there's there's some there's some good stuff in there if you if you're willing to put the put the puzzle together on your own a little bit that's awesome man what what has it been like trying to do both these shows at the same time i mean you've got this huge responsibility over an emoji land are you taking notes and stuff like that at this point like is that the role you're kind of playing at this point in production yeah, yeah. So, so uh, being the associate, I just roll in like once a week now. Now that we're open, oh, okay. Um, helps them check with up. their yep. Do do the little note check in, um, and then make sure everything's tip top shape. And then uh, helped with B roll the other day, and I'll I'll rehearse our understudies and swings in now that they're contracted. So that'll be fun. Um, but yeah, yeah. Just just maintaining, making sure making sure the ship's still afloat. Um, but it's been it's been really fun actually. Sort of now getting to fully dive into bent while emoji demand is is sailing through shows it's right. it's been <laughs> it's been funny i was i was really reflecting on it yesterday and today about like i'm these could not on the surface be more different stories but yet <laughs> they are both so humanitarian right. ironic enough with each uh, and it it's it's really been kind of a funny little theme of my past couple of months and and so 
I, I've been approaching bench, bent, sorry, excuse me, I feel like, uh, a, a little bit from the emoji land sentiment, but a much different uh, side of the side of the story, obviously, a little bit of a different feeling and and obviously kind of kind of kind of the darker side of this uh, this this human experience thing. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it's you're right in the content being so different and you know, one of them is a musical and one of them is a holocaust play. So, uh, <laughs> just in those simple words, you're like, "Hmm, I have different things going on in my brain at the same time." Um, but you're right and I love that that, you know, and it goes back to my point of like almost all of our stories it's not about beating the audience over the head with like, you must behave this way, but there is certainly something in like, do you see how we can be not great? You know what I mean? Like, and maybe if you were great, it would be better. Like you're, at least you could strive to try to be great at like the very least. And that's at the core of so many of our stories, which is like just learning from other people's mistakes. You know, that is so much of, of narrative, especially in like the hero cycle, that kind of story. You know, we're following, you know, one character through all of these different circumstances and watching people shit on him and maybe he shits on other people and you're like, maybe we should just stop doing this. And to sit outside of it, especially in a live space where you're, you know, if you're engaging in any empathy, you're like, oh, fuck, he's really hurting. Like right, like right there, you know, (laughs) not like in a movie where it's like making me sad. I'm like, there's a fucking guy crying over there and it is affecting me, you know, or there is a character, you know who looks like it's the single greatest day of their whole life. And I don't even remember the last time I felt that way. And to see them really deal with it, like, you know, that's the kind of shit that makes me miss the theater, bro. I'm glad you're doing this stuff. Oh, man. Well, I, I, I'm, I am too. I, that, I, you hit the nail on the head again, man. Like, that's, that's exactly been it. And it's funny because it's like, Holocaust is bad, man. That's not that's that's, that's an easy mirror to hold up and be like, right. that's not good. Like, right. <laughs> but, you know, it's... It, it's still the same thing, the same themes between the two, you know, even though emojis are in a technical age on our phone, it's like these, these two shows are sending such beautifully simple yet similar messages of like, we can shape up and in small ways and really big ones too. Were you so, involved but, in any way in emoji land with uh, the movement stuff or transitional things? Like what have you, what, what was your role in the, in the rehearsal process of that show? Yeah, you know, it was funny. I, I really was a jack of all trades during the uh, rehearsals. So, I mean, anything from sitting there taking my own notes, taking the director's notes, working with stage management and making sure that we're being precise in everything that we do so it's good for the actors. I Yeah, I helped with, you know, a, a little bit of the dramaturgy occasionally on scenes. My my boss would just be like, look at this scene. Tell me if we can find something in this. You know what I mean? He'd just, he'd just be like, go, go, go sit over there and, and look at and look at this thing that we're all trying to work on right now. And I'm like, OK, great. Like, so, I mean, really everything. But yeah, you know, I mean, not not a ton of the movement since it's such a like strong choreographic right, musical. Right, yeah, they the 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 choreography team and uh, with Kenny and Dana, uh, his assistant or associate, excuse me, um, they're all so over that. Good. They're so all over it. Yeah, yeah. So I I really actually loved getting to watch them. I felt like I gained so much just seeing them come from a really true like Broadway dance sense. Right. And so I mean it the the like cleanliness the precision of all the things that they do it's it's so appealing just because it is 
so kind of polished and clean. And so, you know, there's, there's, there's a little bit of that, that, that I'm, I'm bringing, I'm bringing to bent already, which has kind of been fun. I mean, we, we just worked on the, the, uh, drag number with Greta, uh, played by Cal, of course. And, you know, already I was like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to steal from Kenny. I'm already going to steal from these guys. Like, you know, Dude, and that's, you know, one of the things that's interesting to me in in my musical background. First of all, I love the way you describe your tasks and responsibilities on the show. It sounds so much like the third year of Gerald's directing program. Like all the stuff that you, you did was like what the third year directors would do when we were on the shows. So it's like you're still getting to essentially learn that same path, even though you didn't choose to do that particular program. Piece of shit. And... um. So so I love that. That's a really cool thing. And then the other element that is so so interesting to me is that you pick up you pick up style and you pick up uh your taste from watching other people make in front of you, especially as a producer, as a director. And like, dude, working on Dancing with the Stars has totally changed the way I think about like blocking, choreography. You know, I I've I've directed musicals before, but man, do I feel ready to do something like that, you know, now because I'm like, I, I'm stealing all their shit. Like, I'm Dude. definitely going to be like, this is amazing. Like, you guys are the best in the world, and there's only so many ways to do a fucking left turn, man. So I'm going to find the one I liked best. And steal it. And just yeah. steal it. Steal it all. I was going to say, I'm sure you, like, you are around some of the most incredible, like, movers. People who are, like, able to do things with their bodies that you're like, that's, that's like, not, that's, like, superhuman shit. Like, yeah. that's, you know, that must be so cool, dude. Like, just it's to sit fun. around and be able to be like, I'm making a story about you for TV. Like, <laughs> Well, I tell you what, buddy, um, and I think I already offered it, but I'm going to offer it again now that I'm looking you in your beautiful eyes. If you want to come to L.A. when we're in season and you and Beth want to come see the show, you let me know. It's a blast. Oh, I would love to. Absolutely. Just hit uh, me up, you- dude. Absolutely. You're in Austin right now, though, right? Are you yeah, in Texas? right now I'm in Austin. Uh, I'll be back in L.A. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when, but definitely for the fall, because uh, if I you know, get asked back to that show, I'm going to go. It's one of my favorite things. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll be there in the fall at some point, I bet. If that's that's my thing, though, if whenever I am in Los Angeles, it is too comfortable. Right. That's the biggest problem. I am way too comfortable. I was I was raised in the Twin Cities. I was right used to being cold and being like, get up. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like I, I, I and if I don't have that, it's just automatic vacation. Like I can't turn that dial back for whatever reason. It's so funny, man. Like I, I just I, I kick so hard into relaxation. And don't right. get me wrong, that's so necessary and I love it, but oh, I, I, I can't, I can't be productive to save my life. It's so weird, right? Because I feel like when I was growing up, I was, I was overweight. And so I never got cold because I was fat. And that's, <laughs> that's part of it, by the way. Anyone who's like overweight, who's like, I don't know why I never, just never really get cold. And like, I'll tell you exactly the fuck why. And I know that it's true because it all changed when I became not a great big fat person. And I, I, I was like, Oh my God, this is uncomfortable. Like I can't wear shorts. This is terrible. Oh, it's like uh, I have like a normal experience now. Okay, got it. Um, but now that I've, man, now that I'm a skinny little bitch 
LA is all I can handle, dude. It drops below forty, and I'm like, this is unaccept. This is like we might as well be on the fucking moon. You can't live like this. This is crazy. You're like, well, I can't wear my jogger shorts today. I don't get yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, oh, St. Paul. I'm like, man, they should just close that whole state off, man, for the whole three or four months. Just doesn't seem fit dude. for you. It's just like the Sahara. Like no one lives there. Why would they live there? You'd only get maybe six good months at that point. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. You cross, you cross over, you know, Ohio, and it's whew, straight down. Uh, just quarantine it. Well, thanks for taking the time to talk to me, dude. This was a blast. Uh, uh, miss you. Happy you, you're doing this. And uh, congrats on both productions. Two awesome plays to be involved in. And uh, keep crushing it, homie. Thanks, man. It was great talking to you. And hope everyone comes sees Ben. Oh, man, they're going to see it. They're going to love it. I love it. I love it. I'll talk to you soon, man. All right. Later, homie. This episode of At the Elephants was produced and recorded by Rob Morris and Kira Geiger in Austin, Texas and New York City. And as always, with music from Daniel Lamone and Max Stampa-Brown. 